This is a Rooster Teeth production. Scissors and stomachs, sponges decaying inside a closed wound, procedures that leave patients with gut-wrenching pain, and of course, death. We're lifting up the surgical sheets to expose the sad and gory world of medical malpractice. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature pulled from history and the headlines of today. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Botched surgeries, overprescribing medication, and untimely deaths are all examples of medical malpractice. Medical malpractice is defined as an act of omission by a physician during a patient's treatment that deviates from the acceptable norms of the practice. Yeah, and it's made for some pretty entertaining Netflix uh, docu-series that as well. For sure. <laughs> the outcome of these admissions or negligent acts made by physicians must cause specific injuries to the patient in medical malpractice cases. Those injuries can include long-term suffering, physical pain, or even death. Not to mention the mental anguish it causes the patient to know that the person they trusted with their health actually has harmed them. Yes. Case in point... Australian Dr. Daniel Aronov. You might follow uh, cosmetic surgeries on TikTok, and uh, in which case you would have heard of him. Oh, yeah. I These have popped up on my For You page and feed, and I just, I can't watch them. Like, I I now know about this guy. I don't think I followed him in the past. So I, don't, I don't follow any of these doctors, but like, I just don't watch these videos because they, A, creep me out, and I just feel like it is a complete BS. Wait, so like, is he showing his surgeries on TikTok? Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Super okay. cool. Super cool. Well, <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. Dr. Arnoff shot to fame by posting videos of himself performing cosmetic surgeries and dancing, which earned it 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, yes, well, yeah, I mean, his his TikTok is now private, but um, you can still find his stuff online. So he does the surgery while dancing, or he <laughs> does the surgery then dances, or these are two separate types of content he's making. What is it? Do you know, Jess? Um, from what it because his his uh, TikTok is now private. I haven't actually seen his page, for, but then from the videos that I have looked up, um, he's not necessarily dancing while he's performing surgery, but he does make dance videos. I haven't seen every <laughs> single one of his videos, nor do I want oh my to, gosh. but he has earned like 13 million followers through all of his chaos. I would not let this man near me. Oh, no. And I guess ultimately people noticed there was something off about him, right? Yeah, patients had like quietly wondered if the pain that they endured during and after surgery was just, you know, for Dr. Arnoff's social media game. One patient, Jackie, said she was left with paid and a huge lump in her chin after her facelift. Dr. Arnoff had shared her procedure on TikTok. Yeah, and she told journalists he's in the middle of surgery and he is stopping, checking the video, and then saying, no, I don't want that or cut that or do that again. Oh, During my surgery. God. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and she was awake for the entire procedure. Awake procedures are sometimes pitched as a way for patients to feel like they're in control while it's happening, but it's also a way for clinics to cut corners and not have to pay an anesthesiologist. 
Jackie also said, quote, it's etched into my mind because I was lying there shaking in shock, in pain, and just traumatized as to what he had just done to me. And he was on the other side of the door doing a TikTok video. (laughs) (laughs) Is this this the doctor or is this the... TikTok that's the evil part here. Yeah, I know. So this will be a documentary on Netflix in about six months called Dr. TikTok. I guarantee it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, If you want to bring me on as a producer, I'm available. (laughs) Another patient, Jess, we got to co-produce this one. Both of us. Another patient, Amy, said that she never gave Dr. Arnov permission to post her surgery online. And that is a big one because I know a lot of like, even just places like dermatologists will be like, hey, are you comfortable with us posting your photos on our Yelp page? And then you check that box, yes or no. So this is a big deal. I don't like it. Yeah, I've done some stuff where, um, like, even, like, when I got Invisalign, I was like, I just don't want oh, yeah. my pictures. I just don't really No, that. and people, they know you and me from stuff we make online. Can you imagine if somebody's scrolling Yelp and they're like, there's Jessica Basami <laughs> <laughs> getting her mouth scanned for Invisalign? Yeah, I mean, it's... I understand that they want that. Like, they're like, hey, can we take pictures for internal use? I'm like, sure, but please don't post them. So how did Dr. Aronov get taken down? Yeah. Patients began, like, comparing notes and making complaints. Uh, Dr. Aronov is currently being investigated by Australian health officials. He was ordered to take down all of his social media posts regarding his medical practice. Well, that's too bad. That's too bad to hear. Too bad. Sorry about that. Uh, since then, his TikTok account is private, as Jess pointed out. His Instagram with over half a million followers has also been taken down, as well as his OnlyFans. That's right. He had a OnlyFans for his surgeries, too. Yeah, that I have not seen. I don't have any subscriptions to OnlyFans. Um, Same. So I can't really, like, see that stuff. Um, but curious if you guys have. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But as of 2022, Dr. Arnoff has been barred from practicing all forms of cosmetic surgery in Australia, rightfully so. And he's only one example of bad, and bad doesn't even begin to describe it, but this horrendous medical treatment, there are lots of different ways to harm someone with medicine, whether intended or not. But in just about every case of medical malpractice, the outcome is pretty gruesome. The medical malpractice law that's in effect now started in the 19th century based in English common law. But the idea that doctors needed to be responsible for their actions, well, that dates back thousands of years. Yeah, in 1754 BC, there was Hammurabi's Code. It was one of the earliest recorded law codes with sections about repercussions for medical mishaps. Basically, it says that the doctor should be punished if they make a mistake causing harm. The one that we referenced today that you probably have heard of, the Hippocratic Oath, originated in ancient Greece. And we still use that today and consider it a rite of passage in order to practice medicine. Doctors have to take the Hippocratic Oath. It is attributed to Hippocrates, who is considered the father of Western medicine. Basically, the Hippocratic Oath boils down to do no harm. The very first medical malpractice case can be traced back to 1374. We got this on the books. It's the case between Stratton versus Swanlund, and this was in England. The patient had sought treatment for a deformed hand. The doctor had promised her he could cure her hand, but her hand was misshapen even after surgery. The case was dismissed on procedural errors, but it set the ground rules. 
Yes, the judge determined that physicians could be held liable when they act negligently, but they could not be liable just because the patient was not cured. In 1532, when Charles V was king of England, a law was passed that required the opinion of medical men to be taken formally in every case of violent death. Basically, this means that gathering expert witness testimony from other doctors to see what they do in situations. And this helps determine whether or not something shady happens. So it's kind of like you're bringing in other experts to examine it and give their okay. But to me, this seems like a little bit shady. I don't know about Mm -hmm. you, Jess, because I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, these doctors are probably going to corroborate what the other doctor is saying. Yeah, yeah. And medical malpractice suits started to pop up more and more in the early 1800s, but died down quickly because there were no real standards yet and medicine was at this time still very new. Yeah, before the 1960s, legal claims for malpractice were pretty rare and didn't have much impact on medical practices in general. But today we have many laws in place to protect people and medical spaces, but that doesn't always guarantee their safety, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. In the world of medical malpractice, there are things called never events, and never events should absolutely never happen when practicing medicine. Like this is a a hard no. Yeah. There's no gray area. There's nothing subjective. Like if this happens, something is is a problem. I love that they're called never events. It's such <laughs> yeah. a like this should never ever happen. Yet, yeah. It happens. It's like, <laughs> let's just let's just call it spade a spade. <laughs> these yeah. are never events. Yeah, yeah. And what are these never events? Well, you could probably, you know, figure out. These are these include, you know, I don't know, never leaving a sponge in the body after sewing someone up. Perfor- That's a never event. Yeah, don't in my ever, opinion. Please don't ever do that. <laughs> uh performing surgery on the wrong part of the body when you came in needing surgery on your right knee, but you perform it on, I don't know, the left arm. I don't know. Never event. <laughs> or performing literally an entirely wrong surgery. Just That's a never, never event. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so this all sounds ridiculous, but these never events actually happen all the time. And they have cost the healthcare system an estimated $1.3 billion in malpractice payments over the last two decades. And in addition to that, probably cost the people that they happen to a lot of distress or death. Absolutely. John Hopkins University says that in the last 20 years, never events have occurred in approximately 10,000 instances. There are a lot of gory examples of these kinds of never events. And of course, we are going to tell you about a few. Azitaco Biva was one of the 10,000 never should have happened instances. The 62-year-old woman had experienced searing pain for years, which doctors blamed on just liver problems. Finally, when she got an x-ray, it turned out to be something much worse. The nurse looked at her x-ray and then asked, do you have scissors in your pocket? I think we know where this is going. Yeah, it turns out in 1996, Zeta had a C-section. The surgical clamp, about six inches in length, had been embedded inside her for 23 years. Oh, I just, I have like no words. I know, for I know, any I'm just of like, this. I don't know. I, don't, I can't is... even imagine. And that she, I guess it was probably pretty clean and sterile because she's had it in her for that long. It didn't get a staph infection or anything. Touche. In another case from 2016, Maureen Pachecho was scheduled to undergo surgery to have bones in her lower back fused together. When the doctor cut her open, he noticed a, quote, pelvic mass. Yeah, the doctor made an on-the-spot diagnosis. It was cancer, and it should be removed immediately, and it was in its entirety. Well, the doctor sent the mass to be identified, and the lab was like, Uh, this is a fully operational, totally fine kidney. Yeah, the doctor hadn't even looked at Maureen's medical history. And if he would have, the doctor would have noticed that Maureen was born with a pelvic kidney. 
which I didn't even know that was the thing I know. that could happen. I've mm-hmm. never heard of that. Mm-hmm. But apparently when babies grow during pregnancy, the kidneys are in the pelvis. And as the fetus develops, they move into the proper position where we generally know them to be. But Maureen's kidney had stayed in her pelvis. The doctor had never met with the patient, didn't review her papers, and also did not have medical malpractice insurance, which is rare. In this situation, we would consider this a negligent act. Just insert the gif of Peter from Family Guy holding his knee like, (laughs) (laughs) for 30 minutes straight. Yeah. Medical malpractice guidelines and rules are not federal. They vary state to state. So in Florida, where marine surgery took place, they do not require doctors to have insurance, but they do require them to inform the patient if they are uninsured. There are malpractice cases that don't involve surgery, though, such as the case of Emily Jerry. This is a particularly sad one. In 2018, at just a year and a half old, Emily was diagnosed with a massive abdominal tumor. She underwent numerous surgeries and chemotherapies before finally being declared cancer-free. It was nothing short of a miracle, and the family could not believe it. There was only one more chemo session to complete, a three-day treatment which would begin on Emily's second birthday. On the morning of her final treatment, the pharmacy technicians prepared the IV bag. The technician filled the bag with more than 20 times the recommended dose of sodium chloride. Within hours, Emily was declared brain dead. Three days later, she passed away. How the hell does this happen? Um, Like, this just (sighs) seems like complete criminal negligence. According to Emily's dad, the pharmacy was short-staffed and burnt out, which, I mean, that's the current state of the world, so I, I get it. But the computer was not working properly either. He told the media, medical care workers are dedicated, caring people, but they're human and human beings make mistakes. My gosh, that this man can even say that mm-hmm. is what a truly compassionate person mm-hmm. because I would just be yeah. out of my mind. And I maybe they filled the bag as they usually just have adult patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're that's not true. used to such a young, but yeah, God, that's that's awful. John Hopkins University claims that more than 250,000 people in the U.S. die every year from medical errors, but some claim the number is more like 440,000. And these kind of mistakes don't mean that the practitioner is a criminal, but there are certain types of malpractice cases that definitely fall in the criminal category. Yeah, some practitioners like Dr. Arnoff, the TikTok dancer, uh, engage (laughs) in malpractice to uh, elevate themselves or or make money off the insurance companies. I I feel comfortable saying that's criminal. Yeah, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Or take the case of Jonathan Stelly. He was a 22-year-old semi-pro baseball player who was told by his doctor that he would die by the age of 30 if he didn't get a pacemaker put in. Hmm. Turns out Jonathan didn't have a failing heart, but just high blood pressure. Jonathan fell victim to a predator doctor billed insurance companies for surgeries that weren't needed. Sadly, this is common, and especially like here in the U.S., where we have a completely broken medical insurance system. Mm -hmm. You see this kind of exploitation and cheating this system happen here all the time. In fact, unnecessary surgeries might account for 10% to 20% of all operations in the U.S. Surgeries are expensive and there are lots of ways people take advantage of that, like illegally working on multiple patients at once. They're called ghost doctors. And no, this is not like a fun doctor who's a ghost and because he's See through his stethoscope keeps like falling off. (laughs) No, this is something completely different. And we are going to find out what it is right after a word from our sponsors. (laughs) 
Time to take a break and tell you a bit about Diet Smoke. Diet Smoke makes premium, federally legal THC products that are delivered discreetly right to your door. They've got a wide range of products, so they've got something for everyone, no matter what kind of buzz you're looking for. Maybe it's a soothing option to help you unwind after a stressful day, or something bold that'll take you on an adventure. Mm-hmm. Then Diet Smoke has got you covered with a wide variety of flavors and strengths that's important to choose from. I tried the blueberry lemonade ones, which are delicious. There's also a grape flavor, uh, which is so good. And you get that really uh, nice, even body high. It's great. Plus, Diet Smoke does serious quality assurance and makes sure their lab tests easily available. And if you're not completely satisfied, they'll resolve any issue. For 30 Morbid Minutes listeners, Diet Smoke is rolling out the red carpet. Go to dietsmoke.com and enter code 30MM at checkout for 50% off the first item you add to your cart. That's dietsmoke.com, code 30MM50, that's 30MM50, for half off the first item added to your cart. Must be 21 to purchase. Thank you, Diet Smoke. It's getting warmer here in California and starting to get a little bit sweaty out there, but I'm feeling great because I have soft, breezy layers from Bombas that keep me nice and cool. I'm talking their sweat wicking socks that are oh so cushiony on my little tootsies. Bombas makes thoughtfully designed better basics that keep you feeling your best all season long on your feet on the trail, at the park, in your own backyard, especially now the temperatures are rising again. And we're getting out there. We're having fun doing active stuff. You want your feet to feel great. Every item is seamless, tagless, and soft. Bombas are the clothes you'll want to get dressed and move in every day. There are no-show socks I wear almost every single day, which are kind of the sock of the summer. And they are made with breathable yarns for a barely there feel. Plus, they have those silicone grips and a contour design to keep them from slipping down or sliding around. I also have kind of like thinner crew dress sock almost socks from Bombas that are great and I wear with boots and they're perfect. And the thing I love about Bombas is a lot of their socks, they'll put a little L or an R uh, which denotes which is a left and which is a right, which I really appreciate. They're great. I have so many pairs and love them. And what's cool, for every comfy item you purchase, Bombas donates another comfy item to someone in need because socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested items in homeless shelters. So go to bombas.com slash 30mm and use code 30mm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash 30mm and use code 30mm at checkout. Bombas.com slash 30mm, code 30mm. Thank you, Bombas. Now back to the show. Back to the show. Yes, a ghost doctor does not involve the paranormal. A ghost doctor is when a surgery is performed by someone other than the doctor assigned, usually unbeknownst to the patient. Scary. That's scary. Ghost. Like, what? That's, that's scarier to me than, the, than a ghost that is also a doctor. 
<laughs> and you ever have this chest where like you think you're getting it you go to a doctor's appointment and you're like i'm here to see the doctor and then like a technician comes in or whoever and you're like but where's where's the i know dentist? i or want doctor i want the doctor that has had years and years of medical yeah. school <laughs> yeah i want the person whose name is on the diploma on yeah. the wall please with all those weird <laughs> letters after their name um yeah no yeah sometimes the ghost doctor is not even a doctor, uh, such as the case of William McKay, who was a general sales manager at a prosthetics company. He participated in and botched numerous surgeries. Oh, surprise, surprise. Uh, one tragic story of malpractice involving a ghost doctor is that of Quan Dai-hi. Quan had been bullied for his chin shape as a child and was very insecure about his looks. So he booked a cosmetic surgery with a well-known clinic in Seoul, Korea. He hid the plans for surgery from his family. 2016, he went and did this jawline surgery. And as he was under the knife, a ghost surgeon took over the procedure. The originally hired doctor was working on multiple patients at the same time. I don't know how you can even do that at the same time. Um, uh. Yeah, Quan ended up losing... 3.5 liters of blood, over three times the amount that was later reported by the hospital staff. Assistants had to mop up the bloodied floor over a dozen times. Yeah, and when you lose that much blood, you're not able to clot anymore. So you just continue to bleed out. And that's exactly what happened to Quan. Yes, he was transferred to the hospital that night and tragically died seven weeks later. His family only found out after he was in the hospital. Ugh. And, you know, they were irate. His mom demanded the clinic's security footage. When she reviewed it, she realized the surgery was not performed by a surgeon, but a general doctor. And sometimes it was even unsupervised and the nursing assistants were running it. Kwan's family sued in 2019 and won $430 million in damages. The surgeon was charged with involuntary manslaughter and sentenced to three years in prison, three years? Oh, gosh. It seems like too little. It seems way too little. Yeah. Yeah. His mother uh, also pushed for a bill to be passed banning ghost surgeries in Korea. And the Kwan Dae-hee bill was passed in 2021. And also just like this is a case of somebody going to get surgery internationally, which I feel like Mm -hmm. is a whole other episode. Correct. On its own, because you hear all these horror stories of people who go to get like plastic surgery or other surgeries on the cheap. Yes, this type of ghost surgery is not as common here in the U.S. And like sometimes if you like and this might as this might have happened to you um, where you'll go in and like your doctor will be like, hey, you know, I have my resident here that would like to uh, perform this for Mm -hmm. me instead as they're training. Like I've had I've I've been to a gyno appointment where my doctor was like, is it okay if the. Um, I don't know if they were an intern, resident, whatever. I'm like, yeah, sure. Because yeah. it, 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 like for a gyno appointment, I'm just like, yeah. But if it was like a surgery, that's probably not something that I personally would feel comfortable with. And I don't think they allow residents to do this type of surgery anyway. No. So, but yes, the U.S. <laughs> laws compared to certain um, other international and different countries laws are very different. Yeah. Much more lenient. Yeah. 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 But there are malpractice deaths that are the results of something far more sinister. And these kinds of deaths are caused by angels of mercy. And this type of thing is something that you would like watch in a Showtime drama series. Oh, for sure. An angel of mercy is is a type of serial killer who takes on a caretaking role in order to attack and control vulnerable and dependent people. One of these cases is one Harold Shipman. Yeah, Harold was born in Manchester, England, and, you know, he was an intelligent kid. His interest in medicine is said to have begun when he was very young. 
yeah, his mother was dying of lung cancer when he was a child. Mm -hmm. And so he would watch her receive morphine injections. And uh, it seems like the morphine injections may have more than influenced his interest in medicine. In 1970, he got a medical degree from Leeds University and quickly became a practitioner. By 1975, Shipman had been forced out of his practice because it was discovered that he was writing fraudulent opiate prescriptions. He had become heavily addicted, so he was fired and sent to rehab. Yeah, <laughs> so already a major red flag here. Um, but by 1977, he was back from rehab and working as a GP in Manchester. And he lived a qu kind of quiet life for almost 20 years until 19. 98. At this time, Shipman was treating an 81-year-old woman who was in good health. Only hours after his initial doctor's visit, she was dead. Which kind of shocked and perplexed her family. It was, she was old, but it was still a little sudden. Shipman, though, was adamant that the body didn't need an autopsy, which is, like, kind of suspicious. And even more <laughs> suspiciously, like... Her will had been changed just before her death, and in her will, she gave her entire estate to Shipman. Her estate was valued at four hundred thousand pounds. It's kind of that's yeah. really suspicious, and I <laughs> it's very <laughs> special. Like, and that's his initial doctor's visit. Like, how did he think he was going to get away with this? And he didn't. Good. In 2000, he was convicted on 15 counts of murder and one count of forgery relating to her death uh, and sentenced to life in prison. But he never completed it because he hanged himself in his cell. The British government ordered an investigation to determine if Shipman killed any other patients during his quiet 20 years. In 2005, an official report found that since 1971, Shipman had killed almost 250 people. And he had a pattern, usually injected his victims with lethal doses of diamorphine and then wrote the death certificate to reflect natural causes. Shipman is far from the only practitioner who abused their power to satisfy their lust for murder. Yeah, in 1982, Arnfinn Nasset admitted to killing 27 patients at a nursing home in Norway with lethal injections of muscle relaxants. Uh, he was found guilty of 22 murders, but people believe his true body count is around 140. Daniela Poggiali, an Italian nurse, was charged in 2014 with killing two patients because, quote, they annoyed her. She even took selfies with the dead patients and stole from them. What? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can imagine, I guess, stealing from them. But the selfies, I feel like you're just incriminating yourself. <laughs> yeah. And just like, if you get annoyed, people annoy me all the time. I'm sure we all get annoyed. And you want to murder? Well, there's something serious going on in your brain. We need to get it checked out. So, like, surprisingly, she was acquitted of the murders in 2021, but publicly admitted that taking thumbs up selfies over dead bodies was wrong. I think, uh, I, I, the acquit is the, was the acquittal the right call on this? No, well, I don't think so. Also, I'm glad that she recognized that taking thumbs up selfies was wrong. Yeah, well, some remorse. What a individual. Yeah. And here's the thing I, I get, Jess, like, being a doctor, caring for anybody else's health, very, very stressful. But would it drive you to murder? That's why there's something. I feel like anybody that's capable of murder, there's there's something more going on mm -hmm. in the brain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I don't know for sure. I am not a doctor, scientist, or anything of those sorts. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Charles Cullen, no, he is not a Twilight vampire, spent 16 years as a serial killing nurse in New Jersey. Cullen's first murder was at St. Barnabas Hospital in June 11th, 1988. Oh, well, I would be doing that too if I lived in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, New Jersey. 
Uh, he later admitted to killing several people at St. Barnabas, including an AIDS patient that he gave an overdose of insulin. The officials at St. Barnabas realized that the IV bags were being contaminated and suspected that Cullen was responsible but did nothing. In fact, many of the hospitals he worked for suspected he was up to something but did not intervene. He was able to move from hospital to hospital, continuing to administer overdoses to his patients. His final victim died of suspiciously low blood sugar in October 2003. The hospital reported the death to police and his murderous track record came to light. Yeah, Cullen was caught and arrested in December of uh, 2003 and is currently serving 11 consecutive life sentences in Trent, New Jersey. So let me get this straight. In Italy, <laughs> in Italy, <laughs> we're taking selfies with the patients that we killed and we're, you know, slap on the wrist, we're acquitted. But in Jersey, we're getting back to back to back to back to back life sentences. Yeah, things are, you know, different everywhere. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Like, yeah. And then there's Orville Lynn Majors, who killed 130 patients in Clinton, Indiana. He worked at a small town hospital from 1993 to 95. And in those two years, the fatality rate of patients skyrocketed. Red flag, red flag. Yeah, like hospital staff would even joke about when the next patient would die on Majors' watch. That's awful. However, in 1995, one of the supervising nurses didn't find the high death rate funny anymore. She compared the time cards to the deaths of the patients. Thank God for her. Mm -hmm. She found that when Majors was on duty, there was an average of one death every 23 hours. But when he was off duty, the death rate dropped to one death every 23 days. Thank God, yeah. She discovered that Majors was on duty for uh, 130 of the 147 deaths. It is estimated that 33% of all patients admitted to the hospital died between 1993 and 1995. This dude was like Thanos. Yes. What the? Yeah. God, uh, at his trial, witnesses testified that Majors hated elderly people and believed they should be gassed, quote, unquote. A motive was never clear, but the Journal of Forensic Sciences believed that Majors selected his victims based on which were whiny and demanding. Psycho. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Some angel of mercy motives are less about murder and more about a savior complex, though. Richard Angelo poisoned at least 35 of his patients during his seven months working at a hospital in Long Island. His M.O. was to induce respiratory cardiac arrest via poisoning so he could jump in at the last minute and save the patient in front of all of his colleagues. There are so, so many disturbing stories of serial killers engaging in medical malpractice, and they all have different reasons for their crimes. But one of the most disturbing is the story of Jane Toppin. Yeah, her nickname was Jolly Jane, but her real name was Honora Kelly. She was born March 31st, 1854, and at six years old, she was given up by her father to the Boston Female Asylum, an orphanage for indignant children. So we're already seeing like she's probably growing up around some trauma here. And not in the most idyllic childhood. Mm-hmm. Honora became Jane Toppin when she was employed as an eight-year-old indentured servant by Miss Anne Toppin. Toppin was never formally adopted, but gladly took a new name. In 1885, Toppin began training as a nurse. She was well-liked and friendly. Patients loved her, actually, hence the nickname Jolly Jane. But she began her criminal career at Cambridge Hospital, where she began using her patients as guinea pigs. Co-workers said that she spent a lot of time alone with patients. 
little too much time alone. Mm. She would alter their prescriptions, make up fake charts, and would administer drugs to drift the patients into unconsciousness. Then she would get into bed with them. She administered patients a high-dose drug cocktail in order to see the effects on the patient's nervous system, forcing them within an inch of death, then jolting them back to life with adrenal shots. In 1889, she was hired at Massachusetts General, where she claimed more victims via drug experiments before she was fired a year later. Her noticeable track record of overusing opiates in hospitals forced her to move into private nursing. Yeah, private nursing is where Toppin's poisoning spree really took off. In 1895, she killed her landlord, who was also her patient and his wife. In 1899, she killed her 70-year-old foster sister, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's housekeeper, Florence, with strychnine. In 1901, Toppin moved in with the Davis family. Alden Davis was old and needed a nurse. His wife, Maddie, had recently died. As it turned out, Toppin had been the person caring for Maddie Davis and the person to murder her. Within weeks of Maddie's murder, Alden, his sister, Adina, and his two daughters, Minnie and Genevieve, were dead. Members of the Davis family were alarmed. The family had been healthy. How did they all die so suddenly? They ordered a toxicology exam for Minnie, and it showed that she had been poisoned. Yes, so the local police arrested Toppin for murder on October 29th, 1901, and she was found not guilty by reason of insanity, even though she boasted to the courts that she knew what she was doing and it was wrong. She was committed to Tottenham Insane Hospital for the remainder of her life, and she died on August 17th, 1938, at the age of 84. The motive for all her poisoning seemed to be pretty personal. Um, she's said to have poisoned the Davis's housekeeper just enough to make her seem drunk so she could steal the job and kill the family. Yeah, Toppin was even known to poison herself for attention, though most believe sadism and sexual motivations were her reasons for killing. Yeah, the Hoosier State Chronicles, one of our most respected uh, <laughs> publishing works, uh, said that she would fondle her victims as they died in an attempt to see the inner workings of their souls through their eyes. Oh, this is sick. Yeah. Yeah. Toppin herself said that she got a sexual thrill from bringing a patient near to death, forcing them to come back to life and then dying. She also said that she wanted to poison people just in general. She just wanted to poison people. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes there doesn't need to be more than that. I, I guess so. I guess they're you're okay. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, she was convicted of 12 deaths, but confessed to more than 30. Officials suspect her toll was probably more like 100. And I, I, Jess, I had never heard of her before, but like, it, it's strange because I feel like we only ever talk about infamous male serial killers mm -hmm. and that she's never come up mm -hmm. and she killed this many people. It's kind of yeah. strange. Yeah. While these stories are quite disturbing and maybe make you nervous, a lot has changed to make sure that patients are safe nowadays. Mm -hmm. Consent laws, first of all, like what Jess and I were just talking about earlier, where, you know, you don't want your photo shown mm -hmm. somewhere. Medical standards and transparency in the modern age, they've all contributed to make sure that patients receive the best care possible. That being said, human error is a thing. Mistakes in medical malpractice are never going to be fully eradicated. Yes, doctors and nurses are human beings and human beings make mistakes. Due to better reporting, such as compiled lists of doctors with, hi with histories of malpractice, patients are able to vet their doctors, which you should. And I also, you know, I'm not here giving advice, but something that I personally love to do is like get second opinions or even even a third opinion if you're if you're going through like a major surgery or really anything. It's always good to just kind of, you know, Take a look around. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I like to scan all of Jess's medical records before <laughs> she has anything done. Just to double, triple check. Just to triple check. Um, you want me to stay run, safe yeah. and healthy. I get it. I, I run those by my doctor. Okay. Then too, who often weighs, it's, his name's Dr. Aaron. Oh, what's his, Darinov. Um, no, no, <laughs> no, Elise. <laughs> no, not him, not the TikToker. <laughs> I'm telling you, Dr. TikTok is going to be a... Hey, I'm convinced of it. Hey, he's a good dancer. Just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. No, God, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, like, we should mention that with these new standards of care that we've established, we all agreed to society. Mm-hmm. Um, now patients can sue. Yeah. There's, you know, a legal recourse that exists. P- patients have more of a say when they feel they've been harmed. And it's just a very good thing to have standards that require doctors to be held accountable, especially in the U.S. Yeah, of course. I mean, because like, like we were saying, they're they're humans and, you know, they sh- stuff might happen. Medical malpractice mm-hmm. uh, laws exist to help patients hold their practitioners accountable. And this ultimately contributes to the world of medicine being safer for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah but um yeah i uh it's it's just wild it is to me and how these people get away with it yeah and if i i really like if i have learned anything it is to just do your research when it comes to the doctors that you choose to you know work on you and do your surgery and like i said before you know getting second opinions just in case and Really feeling good because, yeah, I, I am not a doctor and no one I really, really trust and know is a doctor. So I'm putting my trust into someone else that has years of experience and get cutting me open. Yeah. So. And not that it's like the be all end all or the the guy that you should absolutely follow. But the, that we just have online review systems now where people can go and they can like put an actual mm-hmm. review or a criticism of a doctor, I think really helps. Like I've definitely used different means like that to to filter doctors that I go to. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just trying to think, like if I was on TikTok looking at, this was when Dr. Aronoff was like big and he wasn't banned or anything. Like would I look at his videos and be like, I want to go to him for my surgery. I think people absolutely do. Um, I've and they seen did. Stuff, I, yeah, I've seen on Instagram where it's like a plastic surgery, like a rhinoplasty doctor and the doctor will post a caption like, so-and-so flew from X place to come and get their surgery done by me. I I think people a- yeah. are absolutely drawn in that way. They feel maybe feel more confident because they're seeing it online. Yeah, that's true. They're seeing someone else do it, which is in the case of what we talked about today is not always the case. That's true. That it is very scary when to, to just have, I guess, like a camera in the operating room in general watching do surgeries. I just feel like that that should not be allowed. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Well, and it's, it's changed a lot because remember in the 90s when TLC would show surgeries? Yes. <laughs> like on TV at two o'clock in yes. the day. And it was like the most gory thing you've ever seen in your life. But we all thought it was totally fine. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I feel like this we've we've evolved. And now the like highly polished packaged TikTok version of it geez, yeah. is what we want. Yeah. But you're right, Jess. It is not safe out there. And I actually, I think that I'm going to have to completely take over all of your care okay. going forward. Are you going to clean my bedpan when I'm older? Uh, well, I'm going to outsource for that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to okay. outsource that. All right. I love you. I love you. But do I love you? Okay. You know? Okay. That's good to know. I thought we were better than that as friends, but okay. I'm Then I'm not going to clean your butthole. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's for James I that's, to do. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good place to end. I think so, too. That's good. What are we talking about next week? Uh, next week, we are covering the Mandela effect. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Which you might be thinking, how can the Mandela effect be morbid? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> we're going to find the morbidity of it all. We're going to get to the butthole of the Mandela <laughs> effect. Get right to the bottom of it. Yep. Literally. Scrape it clean. It. Yeah. Oh, Scrape man. it clean with information. With all of that said, bad bye, Elise. <laughs> but bye, Jessica. I mean, bad bye, Jessica. Jesus.